0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. We'll tell you more about both of those companies in a minute or two. I'm Brett Hudson, and I'm joined by Clint Lamb. Clint, what's going on, man?
1: Not much, man. Uh, busy weekend. Good weekend, with it being Thanksgiving. I hope you had a thank- uh, happy Thanksgiving with the family, uh, but it was eventful, to say the least.
0: Yeah, you you too, man. I, uh, I'm... I'm once we get done recording this podcast, I'm about to go get me some Thanksgiving leftovers for, for lunch. So um, I'm looking forward to some some fried turkey and sweet potatoes here in probably 45 minutes to an hour or so. Um, hopefully I don't eat too much that I'm no longer able to fit into my home field apparel. Homefieldapparel.com. It is licensed collegiate apparel with unique logos that you've probably never seen on a t-shirt or a hoodie or a sweatshirt of any kind and it's the most comfortable item of clothing that you are going to own at homefieldapparel.com they've got about a dozen Alabama items there again you you have not seen most of these logos on any piece of apparel um, that that you own I, I know my wife sweatshirt that I've definitely never seen. Uh, it's like the the Alabama seal, the circle seal, but with a block A around it that that looks pretty cool. Uh, a bunch of friends of mine have used the promo code BamaBeat to get twenty percent off their purchase on the uh, on the angry elephant with the white helmet on. That's fantastic. But we can actually get you thirty percent off if you're listening to this podcast on Monday when it posts. Um, Homefield Apparel is running a Black Friday slash Cyber Monday special, so if you happen to catch this podcast on Monday and you get your order in on Monday, you can use the promo code BF Bama for Black Friday Bama Beat. BF will get you thirty percent off your order at Homefield Apparel. So go to Homefield Apparel. Dot com to find your Bama gear or really any other kind of gear. They've got over 100 schools licensed up there, so you've probably got some family where you don't know a ton about them, but you know they're a Florida State fan. they got Florida State gear at homefieldapparel.com. So go there. If you catch them on Monday, use the promo code BFBAMABEAT to save yourself 30% on your purchase. If you don't get to it by Monday, just the promo code BAMABEAT should apply as long as it's your first purchase. I think it's still going to apply after uh, after Cyber Monday, but if it if it doesn't, I apologize. Uh homefieldapparel.com for unique, comfortable collegiate apparel. So, Clint, we're we're doing this podcast after Alabama beat Auburn 42 to 13 in the Iron Bowl. And I remember looking at the spread of, what was it, like in the 23 to 24 range, and, and thinking, man, Auburn Jesus has has a lot to say about that, right? And then Bama goes out and beats them by almost 30. So I, I think Alabama ha- is now the new deity of the universe. They've conquered Auburn Jesus.
1: Well, until they do it in Jordan-Hare Stadium, I don't think we can officially say that, Good but...
0: Point. Good point. But, you kind of got to go to Jerusalem to take down the, the king. Yes.
1: <laughs> that's that's a great way to put that. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it was actually uglier than that. It wasn't until that late uh, fourth quarter touchdown. It was 42-6 to six there for a while. And, yeah. you know, there was a part of me that thought, man, um, it looks like Auburn might have an opportunity to, to score a couple of late touchdowns and, and get a backdoor cover. And th- that ended up not happening. The defense bowed up when it needed to and uh you know i think 42 13 was a little bit more representative of the way that this game actually played out compared to what would have been had it been 42 to to 20 or something like that so um yeah what were some of your initial takeaways from the game
0: well do you want to stay on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side from the bama perspective where do you want to start
1: you know what? Let's go ahead and let's let's start with the defense. We'll work our way back to the right. offense, but let's let's start with the defense.
0: Do do we OP Pete Golding an apology? Um, I mean, you and I were pretty lockstep on this. We were we were letting it play out, waiting and seeing. It, and it felt like both of us more or less gave up on the project long-term after that Ole Miss game, yeah, and ever since then, and, and we've qualified it every time we've talked about this, the the style of offenses and the quality of offenses they've faced since then don't absolve this defense entirely of the flaws they showed in the first three games, but they continue to be better and better and better each week, and in some cases against offenses that are doing not all of the things that, that Ole Miss in particular did, and, and especially not doing them with as good of players, as Ole Miss had on, on that night, but they continue to show little bits and pieces here and there that make you think maybe this will hold up when they finally do get tested with an elite offense again. So to get back to the question, do we owe Pete Golding an apology? Yeah. Um, and here's the
1: thing the I've, felt differently about watching Alabama's defense against Auburn than I had in any of those previous games because of the way that they played. They played fast. They played extremely physical. They were. Uh, it wasn't just one guy. It was, seemed like it was the entire defense was out there hitting folks. Um, the, you saw certain guys who you've been concerned about, like a Dylan Moses, play a lot more confidently, uh, had a much better grasp of his run fits um, and things like that. So there's just – I feel a lot better and it's not that Auburn it, I actually thought it was a little strange. I didn't feel like Auburn did anything overly difficult to to really try to throw a wrench at Alabama's defense, which I thought
0: was like strange two reverses. like two yeah. reverses and that was it
1: yeah I mean it was just like it was very kind of at least to um to some degree I feel like it was very vanilla and, and that like, I hey, thought who's that the you were
0: gonna good coordinator at Auburn who's the OC there? Chad Morris, former huh. Arkansas. Huh. maybe you can draw draw a connection between those two. Yeah, that's a, a,
1: it. Actually, is very similar to what we saw from Arkansas all for you know what was it two or three seasons, and so it, to to sit here and say you know I thought that they would throw a lot at Alabama going into this game uh, because they, a lot of people weren't really giving them a shot and rightfully so, but I thought well you know this could end up being closer if. Um, you know, I I didn't feel like that Alabama's defense looked great early against Kentucky as far as stopping the run. And so I thought, well, if Tank Bigsby can be healthy enough to make some very limited and I respect him for playing through the injury, but, um, you know, I thought that if they can establish the run early uh, like Kentucky was starting to be able to I think that that can really open some things up and I thought that you were going to get a couple of of just wild plays that have been kept in Gus Malzon's back pocket and maybe Auburn would get a couple of scores to keep things cl- close and then you and then things start getting really interesting but you just didn't really see any of that. Now to be fair, I don't think there was the, the opportunities weren't really presenting themselves for Auburn um, when the, I think from the opening kickoff you get tackled. Um, you know what was it? Unlike the, I know it was way before the twenty yard line. So you've already kind of put yourself in in a little bit of a dangerous situation where you're trying to kind of work out of that, get in a position where if you have to punt to this elite Alabama offense, that you, you know, are not giving them the ball at the fifty yard line, Uh, making things just super easy. But at the same time, I just never felt like Auburn's offense got comfortable, and some of that has to do, a lot of that has to do with the way that from the very first series, you know, makes them go three and out, gets a sack uh, from from Christopher Allen, and you're talking about, you know, guys were out there playing assignment football, dominating up front. It was fantastic to see. I'll tell you what right now, you know, for I do want to give Dylan Moses a lot of credit because I feel like that he played a lot more confidently. I feel like that he looked a lot more like the old Dylan Moses. Was he perfect? No. No. Does he still kind of continue to get lost a little bit in coverage sometimes? Absolutely. But especially against the run, I feel like that he played extremely well. And you kind of started maybe, you know, it just it takes a while to come back from a, a, an ACL injury. And so maybe that's what this is. Maybe Dylan Moses is one of those people. And, you know, and the other thing about Dylan Moses that I want to talk about just super quickly is you've got to understand he's a college kid right you know when you go home for thanksgiving you're going home to mama's and uh, your your mama and daddy's house right and i can remember when i was in college you know you kind of were were doing what you wanted to when you were down at college and and you know you stay up as late as you want or you know if you wanted to go get wendy's at you know 1 a.m in the morning you could start you know those kind of things, but then you go home and it's like you have more structure and more rules because you're under your parents' roof. Well, th- that kind of applies here. You know, I w- and we all saw the situation that played out with, uh, you know, the the Dylan Moses's dad after you know he had decided to come back. There was some questions. His dad put out that letter, and you could tell his dad's very involved. That's not a bad thing. Trump Trump. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, I'm not criticizing at all. I'm just saying that. His, uh, you could tell that his dad was a little bit concerned about his decision, maybe to come back, especially with some things not in place. And so maybe this entire time, his dad's been like, you know what, I'm gonna trust you, son, but you cannot get hurt again. Like that, you just you have to stay. And just there, I think Dylan Moses to some degree has been playing with a lot of feet. For one priority has not been let me go out here and make a ton of plays. It's been I got to stay healthy. And you and there's no way that you can look at that situation and blame him at all. Uh, it, he what he did was he chose to come back, and I I'm, I guarantee you he probably would have been a day two pick, but he would be on an NFL roster right now, trying to work and get back, kind of like Jalen Smith for Notre Dame did a few years ago, and you know he would already be financially secure uh, for the most part. He probably would have cost himself a little bit of money, but he's come back, and I wouldn't argue that he's improved his draft stock. But point being, um, you know I, I can everybody thinks it's just simply you know, hopping back on the field, being the guy you used to be, you know, physically he might be really close to that. But I think mentally, obstacles there, these worked, and it was great to see what he was able to do. Got to give him a ton of credit. Um, and, and then also, you know, another guy to me, now granted we, and I'm sure at some point we'll talk about Malachi Moore. He's been incredible. And, and I'll give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about him here in just a second. But the other guy to me that I feel like really stood out in my mind uh, now, granted, from a, a snaps perspective, he didn't play just a ridiculous amount. There was 83 offensive snaps for Auburn in this game, and he played only 27 of them. So he, you know, around a third. Uh, but at the same time, I really feel like Tim Smith looked really, really good, uh, whether it be against the run, whether it be, you know, from a hustle perspective, whether it be getting after the quarterback a little bit. And and I tweeted this out on Saturday. Darius vibes from him just this guy that despite this massive size, is athletic enough to a make an impact against the run, a huge impact against the run. B he has enough athleticism to balance that to where not only can you move him up, a, you know, a, all along your defensive front and do different things with him to create mismatches, but he also has the athleticism to get after the quarterback a little bit. So I think that you know I can completely understand why he was he, he was able to climb up and become a five star prospect according to 247 Sports, and he's going to be an absolute tear. Alabama fans need to be really excited about him. But from a defensive perspective, and I'm sure you'll probably talk about Malachi more. but who were some of the guys that stood out in your mind, Brett?
0: Well, I'll, I'll tackle everything you touched on in, in one fell swoop here. First of all, I, I'm insulted that you would insinuate that His Majesty would eat at Wendy's. <laughs> I'm talking about me, brother. Uh, well, uh, may, maybe. But anyway, shout out to the <laughs> Royal Protector of the Trust Crown, as always. And shout out to His Majesty. Tim Smith. I do want to touch on him for a second because he's emblematic of, of what I wrote about for Monday. It's on tiesports.com right now, and I can kind of tie that into a, a question I have for you. Tim Smith, the, the thing that Coach Saban was really excited about him was he's very athletic for, for his size. He, he's someone who's big enough to play both nose and defensive end. But the thing that Saban constantly mentioned when talking about Tim Smith was that he played basketball in high school in Florida and was a, a, a pretty solid basketball player. So you're getting a lot of agility and mobility out of someone who is obviously huge, big enough to, to play nose. And that seems to be where he's played most of his snaps as his role has increased on, on this defense. So I think this is a case of the physical talent clearly being there and it kind of manifests itself in the system as he becomes more comfortable in college football as he practices more and gets more comfortable in the in the Nick Saban defense, he becomes more of a reliable option because you can lean on him to do more and you know he has the the physical talent to do it. And when you introduce someone like that into your rotation you're clearly going to become a better pass rushing team, which is what I wrote about on TideSports.com. It posted first thing Monday morning. Um, It's in the Monday newspapers around the state. I don't know the names of every uh, newspaper in our network, but there are a bunch of them. And I wanted to see what you thought about this relative to the Auburn game specifically, because I, I asked Saban about pass rush after the game and he said he thought they benefited from being able to play more guys. And part of that was due to necessity, right? LeBron Ray missed three games, and he's been kind of a reserve guy for these two most recent games as he works his way back from that elbow injury. So you've kind of been forced to play more of Mathis and more of Byron Young. You've been forced to introduce Jamil Burroughs to the rotation. You were forced to introduce Tim Smith to the rotation, and that worked out in Bama's favor because he's played more and more and more over the last three or four games or so. And I think the pass rush is probably the aspect of this defense that is most reliable in this improvement. Because, as again, as we've mentioned several times in, in talking about this defense, there are a lot of aspects of this that are hard to put too much stock in because of the uh, opponents that they're facing. Pass rush, I don't think is that. I think this pass rush is – undeniably better and I think that manifested itself in Bo Nix's performance if I told you before the game that Bo Nix is going to throw 38 times I I know I would have projected him for at least 300 passing yards probably two touchdowns instead he throws 38 times for 227 yards no touchdowns and two interceptions I think a lot of that is because Bama's defense sacked him twice and was credited with nine quarterback hurries, which, again, quarterback hurries are a little bit of a nebulous stat. You don't want to put a ton of, of weight into it, but it is there, right, nine quarterback hurries. He was constantly leaving the pocket and having to try to create something of of nothing. So Auburn, they couldn't run the ball. They had 2.9 yards per carry. Could not do that at all. And Bo Nix was unable to to make Bama hurt through the air. And and, and while pe- people like Balakai over in battle and Patrick the II have a lot to do with that, I might argue that the pass rush has more to do with that because they've improved so significantly over the most recent maybe six weeks or so to the point that they can do this kind of thing to, to Bo Nicks and to really any passing team that they face from from here on out. I really think this pass rush is significantly better than what it has been and I don't think that's going to go away
1: I completely agree with you um, and and to me what I liked against Auburn is that you saw a nice complimentary uh, effort as far as interior pass rush versus exterior pass rush i thought that we we saw a lot from christopher allen i thought that this was one of his better games in a crimson tide uniform i really do uh, whether it be stopping the run whether it be getting after the quarterback he is starting to play a lot better. It's starting to click for him. You can just tell he's playing a lot more confidently, like a lot of these Alabama defenders are. And then Will Anderson and what he was able to do. Um, and some of that was to be expected. You know, the, the opening sack for Christopher Allen, he's going against the left tackle, Ox, uh, Austin Troxel, uh, Alec Jackson, the typical left tackle. He missed the game due to injury. They did have Bradarius Ham at right tackle. He was questionable coming in and, and played through some injuries. So, You're talking about not having your all star running back uh, in Tank Bigsby or your your emerging uh, um, star running back. And then you're talking about one offensive tackle being limited, the other being out. Um, Alabama having more success with their exterior pass rush was not like, you know, super surprising. Uh, Now, there were plenty of occasions because of Bo Nick's abilities with his legs. Where you know Will Anderson or Chris Allen wasn't being asked to really get after the quarterback, they were asking, uh, being asked to kind of hold back and spy a little bit, and so th- really things could have been even it looked even better. Uh, but they just had to make sure that they they respected his ability to to extend plays with his legs and take off with his legs and things like that. But there was also the interior pressure um, from, from from some of these guys. I really felt like that. You know, Justin Aboiby got – now, granted, I think he was out on the edge a little bit and was getting some of his pressure from out there, but he did some good things on the when he would be kicking inside a little bit more. You saw the stuff from Tim Smith. Christian Barmore was providing some interior pressure. And and one thing I've noticed about him is every time he makes a play, he's going to flex on you. It don't matter if it was, you know, a a tackle 10 yards downfield – uh, which was a hustle play, by the way. So give him some credit for that. But or whether it's a, a tackle, you know, behind the line of scrimmage or a sack or whatever, he's going to get up. and He's going to flex on you. Uh, he's very happy with himself when he makes a play. And, and you know, I'm all for it. That's the kind of energy he brings to the defense, and I think it really I mean, helps. Look, but
0: if, if I had those arms, I'd
1: flex too. You're not wrong. You're, you're <laughs> that's actually a great point. Uh, but yeah, I just I feel like that. What you saw against Auburn and what you've started to see and, and here's the thing I'm not going to sit here and say that the, the pass rush is is there and, and um, you know it, it's done like it's a finished product. I think there's still plenty of, of room for improvement but what what we're seeing is a lot of this stuff defensively is you know you hear this all the time it's starting to click at the right time right? Um, You're you're talking about getting towards the end of the season. You got LSU this week, then you got Arkansas, then you got Florida, then you move on to the college football playoff. And so, you know, it's still a lot of football left to be played, but this is the time of year. You really want things to be clicking and offensively. It's been there kind of since the beginning of the season, but we're starting to see it defensively and whether it be guys understanding their run fits and how, you know, certain guys play together. I think Christian Harris is doing a lot better job doing the little things things on a more consistent basis, you know, whether it be gap responsibility, not allowing, you know, cutbacks and things like that, being that will linebacker, you know, you're you're a cleanup guy in a lot of situations, but you're also, you know, if it's a stretch zone to the outside, a lot of cutback stuff You're you, you have gap responsibilities. And I thought that he's done a very good job of, of honoring those. And he's got the closing speed to kind of get over the top and help make tackles. But just across the board, everybody is playing a lot better um, and, and, I think that really bodes well when you're talking about what they already had, uh, and you talk about getting LeBron Ray back and, and to think that he's going to step on the field and just be this all-star, you know, he's, he's, he was banged up for the majority of last year. He's been banged up for the majority of this year. There's some rust that needs to be knocked off. He's not just going to step on the field and just all of a sudden be this guy that we all thought, um, And so, but you're getting him back. You're getting him more and more comfortable as kind of the season uh, rolls on. And he didn't play a ton of snaps against Auburn at at all. You know, he was on, I think he was on the field for like less than 10 snaps. Um, And I don't really know if we have a reason for that. But, anyways, you know, just continuing to get him back to being 100% and back to being able to be effective. You got the true freshman getting a lot more comfortable in Will Anderson and Tim Smith uh, and Malachi Moore, who's, you know, been pretty solid from the get-go but now he's really starting to turn into like a like an every week playmaker he's going to make one or two plays it's like man that made a huge difference in this football game and for alabama not all of them actually resulted in turnovers they went back and, and called a, a knee down on one of them um and then there was another one that i'm trying to think oh the the one i think and, and they didn't give tim smith credit for this but i want to say that it was tim smith that stripped the ball away and then auburn's uh, right guard was able to jump on it and recover it but Alabama's just putting, you know, the defense is putting the ball on the field, uh, you know, or forcing the opposing offense to put the ball on the field and giving them opportunities to not only create turnovers through interceptions but fumble recoveries as well. I mean, this very exciting where this defense is heading. I I don't
0: know how Malachi Moore is not a freshman All American. Like I, I don't, I don't, I find it hard to believe there is a freshman DB. That has made a bigger impact on his team than Malachi Moore has on his. And and look, I can't I can't watch every game of, of every team. No one can. So I'm sure if other fan bases out there get a hold of this, they'll probably at me with their freshman DB who no. got like four or, six or something. And that's fine. That's no, fine. I, th- I
1: think you're I think you're a hundred percent right here.
0: I, I just don't. I I find it hard to believe there are four freshman DBs that have had a bigger impact on their teams than Malachi Moore has had on his.
1: I completely agree with you. And and just it's it's been against the run, it's been against the pass. It's creating timely turnovers. Um, you know, being, a, now he didn't have his best tackling performance. I didn't feel like against Auburn, but he's been pretty sound as far as his tackling, which has been an issue for other defensive backs throughout the season, much more veteran guys. So just being able to put a guy at that position and we understand how important that position is because, you know, with, with Minka Fitzpatrick, when you've got to now go, go wrong, Shaheem Carter, Uh, He was an effective player there, but he didn't provide the ceiling at that spot like a a Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, He was just – Shaheem was more of a guy that just knew what everybody was supposed to be doing, knew what he was supposed to be doing, and was always in the right place. But he didn't have the same kind of playmaking ability to the same degree that a Malachi Moore does. So just having that at that spot – because, I I mean, you're talking about essentially in in a lot of ways a slot corner – He's down in the box a lot. He's helping against the run, but he's also got to be able to cover, you know, shifty receivers uh, and things like that. So very impressive performance from him. I completely agree with you.
0: Uh, I feel like we need to take a quick minute to recognize Christopher Allen before we we break and and get to the offensive side of the ball. Like he's very quietly leading this team in tackles for loss by a lot. He had two against Auburn, uh, a sack as well. And I just don't think anyone anticipated this kind of an impact, at least statistical impact, from from Christopher Allen. I mean, I think we expected good things, but I don't know that actually we may have made this one of our preseason predictions. Um, tackle did. for loss was not on here, but we did predict a team leader in sacks, which yeah, I yeah. think, I think he leads the team in sacks. He does. Uh, Christopher Allen has four. Christian Barmore has three. Christian Harris has two. They're the only ones that have two or more sacks this year. Um, I picked LeBron Brian Ray. That's a tough scene. Uh, You picked Will Anderson, so I I guess you have me beat on that one thus far. Nah,
1: I mean, you you can't take into account injury, so the fact that he hadn't even been on the field, Will Anderson's been on the field all year, and and he's gotten close. He's been an impactful pass rusher, but he has not finished with sacks like I thought he would. So I'd actually say that the unknown status and what he would have done had it been LeBron Ray is probably more so in your favor than actually having seen Will Anderson on the field for the entirety of the year and him still not uh, you know, having the sack production yet. but Well, so. in,
0: in any event, looking at these preseason predictions, which I'm sure we'll, we'll look at in more full detail once the season ends, I mean, defensive MVP, defensive breakout player, leader in sacks, strongest position on the team, bounce-back players, best of the rest, Christopher Allen is not mentioned in here. And right. he is currently... Uh, leading the team by a lot in tackles for a loss. He has nine. No uh, no one else has more than uh, five and a half. I'm going to quickly look and see where Christopher Allen ranks in the SEC in tackles for a loss. He leads it in in tackles for a loss. He has nine. Auburn's Colby Wooden has eight and a half. Uh, a Vandy guy and a Mississippi State guy have eight, and, and they're the only ones with – with more than eight. I'm going to quickly see where he ranks nationally in tackles for a loss. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. There, I mean, there's an Arkansas state dude that has 18 and a half tackles for a loss, but they played 10 games. Let's do tackles for loss per game. He ranks, he's in the top 100. That's not as much as, that's not as high as I expected. At any rate, he leads the sec in tackles for a loss. And, while I think a lot of people look to Christopher Allen to to step up and be a uh, and be someone who is a consistent threat on the edge of Alabama's front, I don't know that anyone expected him to leave the SEC and tackles for a loss with two games left in the regular season.
1: Yeah, and, and with with him coming in. I thought this extremely important piece because he's really the only edge guy that had any sort of significant experience coming in. Um, and, and so I thought that where his role was going to be was he had shown some flashes, especially during that true freshman season a few years ago, where you saw that he could be a pretty good player. Um, but I didn't see any sort of ceiling like I did with, with Will Anderson. And I certainly thought that his most valuable role will be being that steady presence that kind of knows what he's supposed to do, get the job done, kind of be an unsung hero. And, And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what he has been. Um, you look at, uh, you know, what he's been able to do as far as providing uh valuable pass rush. In, in in some ways, I would compare him to a Ryan Anderson or an Anthony Jennings, where those guys had the, the, the production as far as when you actually go and look, tackles for loss, sacks, they were kind of up there. They weren't leading the team. You had, you know, the Jonathan Allens and the Tim Williams and guys like that. But they were, you know – um very steady players that knew what they were supposed to do could do a lot of different things and Christopher Allen he's dropped back in coverage some he was spying uh you know quite a bit against Auburn so very versatile piece very valuable piece and it's just you know when you talk about top Alabama defenders for one reason or another uh he just he doesn't really get brought up in the conversation at least not for a while he's kind of on down the list but for the value that he's he's been Alabama's defense i would argue he's been one of the more valuable defenders uh because of the snap you know rate that he plays and stuff like that too because i mean you go and look yeah i mean he played 50 snaps against uh against auburn out of the 83 that they had and you know trying to look at yeah so he's right there in the same range as 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 will anderson which is interesting that will anderson still leads the team oh granted christopher allen actually ended up missing some time because of the um shoulder injury you had to go to the the, the tent for right a, yeah a few snaps so maybe that's why i was wondering why will anderson i, I figured Chris allen would have actually led the team as far as edge players um as far as snap count goes but just been a very valuable piece so i, I completely agree and he's another guy that you're talking about <laughs> you kind of thought you knew what you had in him coming in and he's been better than that and he's continued to get better you know with where he's at now these are different dynamics and elements that are really making this Alabama defense run because you know you thought okay by this point it's going to be you know a lot of these true freshman edge players are going to have had plenty of experience. This is probably the point in the season where they're kind of taking over and you're relying a lot more on them. And Will Anderson is very heavily relied on, and he does a lot of things from a statistical standpoint. Maybe he hadn't had uh, the type of season that a lot of people had hoped, but it's it goes beyond statistics. He's made an impact in ways that go beyond statistics. But for For Allen, he's continued to just be that steady performer. And, and, and I think that that needs to be acknowledged, and I'm actually really glad that you brought him up. Shall we take a break and talk about the offensive side? Yeah, I think so. Well, uh, we, I think that's a great way to do it. You know, defense on one side, offense on the other. So, guys, like Brett said, going to take a quick break when we come back. The offensive side of the football: Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. Tons to talk about. Stick around for that on the Bama Beat podcast, brought to you by Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles. You know, life today is kind of a lot. We're always forced to be on. But every now and then, it's important to just stop, crack open a mountain cold Coors Light, and chill out. So when you choose to turn off, choose the one beer that's literally made to chill, Coors Light. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. The mountains on Coors Light cold-activated bottles and cans turn blue when chilled to perfection. When your game is on this weekend, or any game for that matter, make sure your refrigerator is stocked up with the one beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. When life has got you on the go, 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 take a minute, relax, and enjoy a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered to your door by going to get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Home Field Apparel and Wickles Pickles. Wickles Pickles, they're giving you pickles, relishes, okras, and much more. It's a family recipe that is 90 years in the making right here in the state of Alabama. So if you're one of those that likes to keep your money local, Wickles Pickles is a, is a good way to do that. All of their products are available for you to see what they got at Wicklespickles.com. You can also find them on the pickle aisle of your local grocery store. I can say that from personal experience. I live uh, not very far from uh, Publix in, in Tuscaloosa, and, and I, I see the Wickles on my uh, on the pickle aisle of my local Publix. Wicklespickles.com. Wickles, Pickles, let's get wicked. Um, answer this, Clint. Is Devontae Smith the best wide receiver in the country? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah. It, I mean – I actually looked this up to give to give you some context before I, I throw that on you. I, I looked this up. Here are the leaders in receiving yards uh, as we stand right now. Elijah Moore of Ole Miss is in first, um, 1,193. Jonathan Adams Jr. at Arkansas State, 1,111. Devontae Smith, 1,074. Marlon Williams at UCF, 1,039. They are the only ones that are at or over 1,000 at this point. There's a South Alabama wide receiver, a second UCF receiver. Uh, holy crap. So there are eight guys in the nation that have 900 or more receiving yards, and UCF has two of them. Good Lord. They like us sling that football around. Anyway, uh, Devontae Smith, one of eight receivers in the nation with at least 900 yards one of four receivers with at least a thousand yards. He is one of three receivers with 12 receiving touchdowns, joining Jonathan Adams Jr. of Arkansas state again, and Jalen Darden of North Texas. Is Devonte Smith the best receiver in the nation? I think he, I think he has to be in the
1: conversation and I would say so. Uh, you know, a lot of these uh, guys ended up opting out, but then you got the, like a Jamar chase and now a terrorist uh, Marshall, but You also have guys like Rashad Bateman who just didn't end up having the season that everybody had hoped. A lot of that has to do with with Tanner Morgan and his regression there at Minnesota, the quarterback. Um, But, yeah, I I think when you're talking about impact, and I've talked a lot about this, and, and some of it being on this show, some of it being on my radio show, but I think that just his ability to kind of transition from being that guy who is just very opportunistic, Based off of the defense, g- giving a ton of attention to Henry Ruggs III and, and Jerry Judy, and in some cases, Jalen Waddell, to be in the guy that everybody's like, we got to figure out a way to stop this guy. You know, John Mechie's a very good receiver. Slay Bolden is a very serviceable receiver, but we got to st- figure out a way to stop uh, Devontae Smith. And, and defensive coordinators are approaching it with that mentality, and they still can't even remotely slow him down. You know, in, in the last six games, He's got 58 catches for 922 yards and 11 touchdowns. And just over a regular 12 and, – and people will sit there and say, you know, you're taking out the cupcakes, right? Um, it, this is an all-SEC season. These are SEC defenses. Every week they should have the ability to try to slow down your top option. Uh, at least most defenses should unless you're all Miss or maybe a Vanderbilt. But, um, you know, you're talking over a, a, a 12-game regular season in any other season – If you double all those numbers, you're talking about over 1,800 receiving yards – well over 110 catches and 22 touchdowns, and that wouldn't even include SEC championship, playoff appearance, bowl game, whatever it ended up being. If he was able to keep these numbers up over the entirety of a, of a, a normal season with 13, 14, or maybe even 15 games, he would exceed 2,000 receiving yards. You know, That's the kind of performance that we've been seeing out of him over the last six games. And, and those other two games to start the year, he didn't, you know, I want to say he was in like the 60 to 80 receiving yards, um, in those two games just kind of started a little bit slow we're figuring some things out without all the weapons but since then he has been on fire and you know to be honest with you damn near unstoppable
0: what what impresses me about Devonte is that statistically he's clearly being asked to do more in the absence of of jaylen waddle and he's doing it like he he clearly has a more significant role in the office, which makes all the sense in the world. And he just keeps doing it. He's constantly getting open. He's executing a bunch of different schemes and routes and all that. We saw Sarkeesian use him as kind of a, a blocker for a lead screen, all as a ruse to get him open on a slant. That's how they scored the second touchdown with, with him. They continue to use him in different ways and throw different things at him ask him to do different things, and he does all of it. He executes all of it at a very high level. I I can't say for sure whether he's actually going to be up there for the Bolitnikoff Award this year. I I got my uh, semifinalist ballot in my email inbox earlier today, so I'll have to handle that at some point this week, I guess. But uh, uh, I don't know how every ballot does not include Devonte Smith as one of the the ten semifinalists for the the Belenikoff award because he's just he's just dominant. He's he's now played eight SEC defenses in a row. No no uh, non conference game is a break in there to pad the stats or anything like that. And everything these defenses have tried, it's been it just hasn't been enough. The, no one's been able to to do it. And we're finally getting the matchup with. Devontae Smith and Derek Stingley Jr. this week, which we'll get more into later on when uh, when when we do a podcast later this week, breaking down the the Bama LSU game. So I, I look forward to seeing that matchup, but I, I imagine it probably can't be done if Stingley doesn't do it right, because uh, while Stingley isn't having like the the monstrous year that. Uh, people, myself included, expected of him, probably um, more indicative of LSU as a whole than it is of of Stingley, I don't know that there is a corner out there that is just absolutely locking everything down and um, making it happen that way. Like Clemson and Ohio State are obviously immensely talented at every position, cornerback included, so should Bama face one or both of them in the college football playoff, they might uh, they might produce an, an excellent matchup in that regard. But I think it's going to be until then that he faces someone that might be able to challenge him physically because I don't know that anyone at LSU, Arkansas, or Florida uh, really stands out to me as someone who can. Well,
1: I'll say this. Um, Devontae Smith put up over 200 yards receiving against LSU last year. Yeah. Um, and, and that was you know, mostly not, not all, but mostly against Derek Stingley. So right now, uh, Smith Smith's one and zero. but with having <laughs> the extra attention that he's going to probably receive in this particular game, um, you know, we'll kind of have to see. And, and Stingley last year with the way that he was so dominant against everybody, except Devontae Smith, he might take that personally and be ready to kind of come out and make a big statement in, in this game, um, and, and so we'll, we'll kind of have to see. But, you know, I completely agree with you. I think the only one that would have come close was a Sean Wade maybe for Ohio State, and, you know, what's that guy's name, like Ty for, uh, Fryfoggle or whatever for, for Indiana. If sure. you go watch um, what he did against Sean Wade, I thought Sean Wade was very, uh, you know, he exploited some some aspects of, of Wade's game that I think that Devontae Smith will be able to, uh, you know, take advantage of as well. Now, granted, you know, some of that was just size uh, differences and things like that. But I think that with the, with Devontae Smith's ability to create through, you know, separation through route running, I think will really help him. You, and, and I mean he he can win 50-50 balls when you need him to and there's rare occasions I don't think he's dominant in that area but he's you know he can win some uh, some contest contest catches but overall I just think that he's so open all the time he makes you know everything pretty easy on Mac Jones uh but just and we talked about we've talked about this before but it's just incredible how what he's doing statistically because now he's the SEC's all-time receiving touchdowns leader, and he did that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and he's still adding – at this point, he's just racking up, uh, you know, creating that separation between him and number two, and if I were to go ask – you know, and the average Alabama fan or the average fan of, of another team that at least knows enough about Alabama. Hey, who were the best receivers in school history? I don't feel like that he would, his name would come up as far as, you know, as being one of those, you know, top three to five guys, which is just crazy to me. He's just been extremely underrated, got the job done um, and, and fought to overcome a lot. And it's not just his receiving ability. Uh, it's his, his willingness to be a run blocker. I mean, he is just, for being 173 pounds or whatever it is that he, he you know, it's currently at, I mean, he will absolutely work his tail off trying to get guys blocked to create for the other receivers, and just like a lot of these other Alabama receivers in the last few years, but just very selfless player, and he deserves everything that he's getting right now as far as the, the recognition and the statistical, you know, um, dominance and and breaking some records and doing those things very impressive player who's con- it continued to get better over the course of his career.
0: I, I don't know that I have anything else to add offensively. I mean, is this not kind of the, the ho hum? Is this not just kind of the, the drum beat continuing? This is the metronome, right? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. This is just nothing about this is offbeat.
1: Yeah. And, and, and once again, Another, you know, throw or two from Mac Jones that just makes your jaw drop, you know, and just stuff that you don't think uh, that he should be able to do, he's able to do. And then when you look at Alabama's offensive line, and what's interesting is that, you know, people are starting to get more on board with the Landon Dickerson thing. Um, But, you know, I brought it up on Twitter last night. A lot of the NFL – people that I follow that are very good at draft analysis. And I do a lot of my own as well, but I feel like that if you're looking for really in-depth, great draft analysis, you know, you can find better than me. Um, and some of these guys out here that I really respect are talking about, you know, how underrated Alex Leatherwood is, you know, in the season that he's had and guys like Lennon Dickerson and the fact that he didn't get talked about enough. And he might end up actually being the the, the first Alabama offensive lineman drafted uh, and things like that statements like that are being made and you start thinking about it and you start saying it's crazy that that the the unit as a whole is universally accepted as the best offensive line in of the country um, and yet the individual players you're talking about Deontay Brown that's not a guy that gets brought up a ton you're talking about Alex Leatherwood yes the fact that he returned he could have very well probably been a I think you probably would have Just because of the tackle depth in last year's class, but that, you know, it's kind of beside the point. But even though he's considered, you know, one of the better tackles in football, he's not considered up there with Panay Sewell and some of those guys. Um, and I don't think he's viewed in the same way as maybe a Jonah Williams a couple of years ago, and maybe he should because he's been playing extremely well this year. But then you talk about Landon Dickerson and the fact, as far as an interior uh, offensive lineman, what has been he's been able to provide the versatility as far as uh, you know be, being able to play guard or center. It's just the the collective unit as a whole has been, you know has been very good and very well respected, but the individuals that make up that unit, I feel like in some ways are very underrated. and that's very interesting to me. But I think people are starting to figure get uh, figured out. and I think that, you know, this is probably going to be the aspect of this Alabama team that is going to be the most missed. People will talk about Devonte Smith being gone. And Najee Harris and all those things, but when you have a dominant offensive line, it makes everything more efficient, more consistent. That's the big thing. Consistency, in my opinion, it's found from the offensive line. Because if you don't have an offensive line that is, is is very effective, your quarterback play can be up and down. Because he's going to end up playing, you know, some defenses that can get after him and give him trouble, not give him the opportunity. The receivers down the field, they're not really having opportunities to to make the kind of plays like Alabama has because they don't have the time to let their you know ability to create separation through route running and things like that to develop. Um, so just to me. This is the aspect of Alabama's roster that I think will be the most missed. You know, with Deontay Brown probably being gone, Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood, um, you know, that's that's three, that entire, you know, from center all the way to left tackle, just Alabama is going to miss those guys so much, and they've recruited the position well, especially with this 2021 recruiting class. They've got some solid options. They'll still be a very good offensive line, but this is a very special group that I think deserves a lot of recognition.
0: absolutely we'll see if the the joe moore award makes makes good on my season-long prediction that they'll be the the best offensive line in the in the nation we'll we'll see if uh the joe moore award uh does me some justice on the back end there before we go to uh before we adjourn for for next week i do want to let listeners know that next week we're going to do the uh record book update again um uh, we did that in previous episodes, and and people seem to enjoy it. And now Devonte Smith is is working his way up Bama's leader board in a bunch of statistics. So is Najee Harris, and now Mac Jones is getting up there in both single season passing yards and single season touchdowns. Um, so I'll I'll have a, an extensive update on that one when we do the the LSU breakdown pod in a day or two.
1: Yeah, and and the last thing that I want to let everybody know because they probably were wondering. Hey, hey, wait a minute! Why why was there not a a preview for the Auburn game? It's like the biggest game of the season, and I'll tell you how that kind of went down. We were originally supposed to record that. Was it on Tuesday or Wednesday? Is whenever it was whenever Nick Saban found out that he had COVID, um, and at the last second. You know, we, we realized, wait a minute, if you're talking about, you know, does that mean that players, if he's actually got, you know, symptoms, does that mean players are going to start having it? Is this game even going to get played? We need to kind of, let's take a day or two, figure out where things are at. And we have planned to record it on Friday, uh, which wouldn't have given a ton of time for people to listen. But at the same time, that was the original plan. And then what I didn't take into account is I always forget there's a ton of football on uh you know the day after thanksgiving and it was on all day and some big games and just with other obligations that i have um i was you know i quickly realized when i went and got breakfast that morning with the early games that was supposed to be happening i was like oh my goodness i'm not going to have time i mean i got it was just a, it was essentially for me it was just like a typical saturday of just from morning to evening just non-stop college football coverage and having you know to, to do things and work so that was not Brett's fault. That was my fault. I didn't really take that into consideration. Didn't look at the schedule. Didn't think about it. Knew we wouldn't be able to get it recorded on Thursday, but thought Friday would be a good window. And so it ended up not happening. And I was extremely disappointed that we weren't able to get that out, but that was completely on me. And so we will be having an LSU preview this week, and we will be doing an Arkansas preview next week and Florida after that. And and so on and so forth. So don't think that's going to become a regular thing. That was just kind of crazy the way that all ended up working out. But Brett, Brother, well, always
0: so the short version of it is Nick Saban tested positive for COVID the day before Thanksgiving. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and that kind of that th- and our, you take you're like well, should we hold off on this podcast? And I was like, absolutely. There there's no <laughs> what are we what are we going to do to take this approach with the most important coach in college football potentially not being on the sidelines? Don't know who's you know tested positive. We do this podcast preview and then come to find out Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Oh, you know all these outbreaks are happening, and then it's like we don't even know if Mac Jones is playing. You know we don't even know if if, if Dylan Moses is playing. We've been doing these breakdowns and we don't even so like it, it, we were just like it's better to just kind of take a step back figure out where the where the team is at over the next course of the next couple of days and then we can get something knocked out and then you know old clint uh let myself you know try to do a hundred things at once and so i screwed that up but yeah like i said we'll be back but brett as always i appreciate you taking the time to hop on here with me a uh, great conversation i hope the listeners enjoy it and we'll be back you know here in the next day or two to, to put out an lsu preview because it might be a cha- uh, the second for the second week in a row, it might be a chance at a little bit revenge compared to last season. So stick around for that on the Bama Beat podcast, brought to you by Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles.